Hello, it's Thursday, almost Friday. Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast for January 25th. I'm Anastasia Glova, your host. Daniel Mitchell, formerly with the Heritage Foundation, joined the Cato Institute this week as senior fellow. Dan is one of America's leading experts on the flat tax and has been an influential voice here and overseas in the fight to preserve tax competition and fiscal sovereignty. Today, he talks about his work at Cato. Why is tax competition part of your work here? Politicians want more power. They want more of our money so they can spend more and buy their way to re-election. That's what public choice economists like James Buchanan became famous for, was analyzing the bad incentives that politicians have to make government bigger. The beauty of tax competition is that governments have to worry about what other countries are doing or, if we're on the state level, what other states are doing. And a great example would be California. Californian politicians would probably love to raise taxes even further, but they can't because people are escaping to Nevada. French politicians would love to raise taxes further, but they can't because people are escaping to Switzerland. And so tax competition is the notion that if the geese that lay the golden eggs can fly away, politicians have to curtail their normal impulses to overtax and overspend. And I'm delighted to be at Cato with Cato's international reputation to wage this fight to preserve tax competition because a lot of international bureaucracies like the European Union, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, those bureaucracies are carrying water for high-tax governments trying to impose tax harmonization instead so that taxpayers don't have the right and the freedom to escape fiscally oppressive governments. How does America's tax code compare with that of other nations? It depends what other nations we're talking about. If we're comparing America to Hong Kong, we're way behind. One of the little-known things about Hong Kong is that their flat tax system, their revenue system, collects about the same amount of money as a percent of GDP as America's federal tax system. And yet our tax system is so much worse. Hong Kong taxpayers have a simple and fair flat tax. They don't double tax savings and investment. They have a common sense territorial system, meaning they don't try to tax things that take place outside their borders. It's a great pro-growth tax system, which is why Hong Kong has been an economic miracle success story ever since the end of World War II. America's tax system, by contrast, has tax rates that are too high. We have pervasive double taxation of income that's saved and invested. In other words, we're punishing people for setting aside the seed corn for future economic growth. We have a terrible worldwide tax system that makes it very difficult for Americans and American companies to compete around the world. And, of course, we have a burdensome and intrusive IRS that makes our lives a nightmare all year long, but especially around April 15th. So compared to Hong Kong, we're terrible. On the other hand, if we're going to compare America to France, we're like the Cayman Islands because France has higher income tax rates, much higher payroll tax rates, and they have a value-added tax on top of all that, financing a giant welfare state with government spending consuming more than half of their economy. The only place where we're behind France is we actually have a higher corporate tax rate, which really shows you how out of whack our corporate tax system is. As a matter of fact, our corporate tax rate is higher than the corporate tax rate in every single European country. So that's one area where America has a black eye, regardless of who we're comparing ourselves to. So I guess the short answer to your question is our tax code is in the middle by global standards. There are plenty of places like Hong Kong and Ireland and Switzerland that have features that we should try to emulate. 
but there are plenty of places like Japan and France and Germany that have higher tax rates and a bigger welfare state, and those are places we don't want to copy at all. Now, in light of the president's State of the Union address on Tuesday, what is America's biggest fiscal challenge today? I'm tempted to say that our tax code is a real nightmare and should be replaced by something simple and fair like a flat tax. I'm tempted to say that all the pork barrel spending that we've seen in the last six years is a major challenge. But you know what? It's the future that we need to be worried about. Right now, the federal government's spending specifically is consuming about 21% of our economic output. That's much too high. I mean, for much of our nation's history, the federal government was less than 5% of GDP. But in the future, because of demographics, because of the entitlement programs, and because of the irresponsible decision by the Bush administration to expand Medicare, federal government spending could grow to about 40% of GDP by the time the baby boom generation is fully retired. Heck, you throw in state and local governments, and we're going to be at French-style levels of government. There's no way that we can have that kind of government, that big, that bloated, that intrusive, without having punitive taxes, without having economic stagnation, double-digit unemployment, uh, all the economic woes, all the economic misery that you see in Europe. We're going to be importing that misery if we don't get future entitlement programs under control. That means we have to be reforming and privatizing and personalizing and bringing market forces to bear. And unfortunately, the politicians love increasing entitlements instead because it's a way of buying votes. So we have a big challenge and we have politicians in Congress and the White House that have been and probably want to continue moving in the wrong direction. And so I'm afraid that before things get better, they might get worse. But the president has expressed a desire to balance the budget by 2012, so shouldn't we be optimistic? Balancing the budget shouldn't be our goal. After all, Sweden has a budget surplus. Do we want to trade places with Sweden? I don't think so. In Sweden, both taxes and spending consume more than 50% of GDP. And it's no mystery that Sweden has double-digit unemployment, that per capita disposable income in Sweden is barely half of what it is in America. I wouldn't want to get by on half the income I have today. You wouldn't want to get by on half the income you have today. Nobody listening to this wants to have 52% of their current income, and yet that's the kind of fate that we will suffer if we allow our government to become like Sweden. So the fact that Sweden has a balanced budget, heck, the fact that they have a budget surplus is nothing special. What really matters, as Milton Friedman constantly reminded us during his great career, it's the size of government that matters. Now, if we have a small government, I frankly don't care whether we have a surplus or a deficit. And if we have a big government, that's bad news, regardless of whether it's all financed by taxes or whether some of it's financed by borrowing. The key thing to look at is, is government getting smaller or is government getting bigger? And the current administration has not done a good job on government spending. As a matter of fact, they've done a terrible job on government spending. So when President Bush says he wants to balance the budget by 2012, what does that mean? Does that mean we as taxpayers are going to pony up more money to the special interests here in Washington? Or does that mean that the president's finally going to get serious and start vetoing reckless and irresponsible and wasteful spending bills? And frankly, is he going to stop being part of the problem himself? Because a lot of what we've seen, whether it's the no bureaucrat left behind education bill, the Medicare expansion, the farm subsidies, these were all things the administration was pushing and in favor of because they were making a short-term political calculation that buying re-election was more important than the fiscal future of the country. 
If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.